Good morning. It is truly a blessing and a joy to be here. Uh, we're really encouraged to have many visitors with us, uh, some from the community, some that are just passing through, uh, some who have been with us uh, this past weekend, some of us who were uh, down at a, a camp for young people. Um, just been so encouraged uh, to, to be able to come together as a spiritual family, uh, to spend time in worship to our Father, and now to, to turn our attention towards His Word. Um, the, the youth studies that we, some of us were involved in this weekend were focused on uh, the topic of serving God in the age of social media. And so I want to continue uh, some of those types of thoughts uh, in our study together today. We're going to be here in Matthew 5. If your Bibles aren't already open there, I would encourage you to, to open your Bibles with me. Um, if there's any value, uh, any power in the things that are going to be said today, it's not going to come from the mouth of Grady Huggins. It's going to come from the mouth of Almighty God, from his, his word. So that's where we want the focus to be. As we think about the, the world in which we live today, um, you know, the, the technology around us has changed quite a bit, uh, even just in, in my lifetime. The, the World Wide Web was really just kind of getting going around the time that I was born uh, in 1990. Um, in 1998, you have Google coming in, Facebook in 2004, YouTube in 2005, the iPhone popularized the smartphone in, in 2007, Instagram and Snapchat in 2010 and 2011, Discord, TikTok, 2015, 2016. We'd probably go on and on. Um, but we've seen a lot of changes uh, in the world in which we live and, and technology. Um, and the world that we live in today is, is a lot different in some ways uh, than the, the world that, that my parents might have grown up in. Um, you know, even before the time of my parents, uh, 150 years ago, uh, the only way that you could interact with somebody across the country would be to either travel and go see them or, or write a letter and send it to them, right? And now we can interact with people on the other side of the world uh, with just a click of the button. Um, and so how can we handle this powerful tool called the internet in a way that is glorifying to God? in a way that avoids maybe the, the many pitfalls that Satan seeks to use uh, against us, how can we shine our lights in the world wide web? This passage that, that was just read to us, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, uh, is probably a passage that you're, you're familiar with. Um, you know, many of your, our young people are probably familiar with the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. We, many of us could, could sing that song, maybe we could even do the hand motions. Uh, but, but being able to, to sing it and, and act it out is, is a lot different than, than living it, right? Um, I, I want us to think deeply about what the words of that song, what the words of the scripture um, are, are, are telling us, and think specifically about how that will apply, uh, maybe in particular as it applies to our, our activity on the internet. Um, you know, the World Wide Web today is what we might call uh, a city set on a hill. You see there in verse 14, uh, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, and what, what does that mean? Well, the, the picture that we have here is that the higher that something is lifted up, the more visible it becomes. Even in that day and age, you know, many times cities were built on hills uh, for defense purposes. 
um, so that it would be harder to attack. And so in the ancient Near East, as, as you might have been traveling on one of the roads, uh, if there was a merchant traveling even into the evening, the, the light of that city lifted up on that hill was going to be clear to them even from miles around. Um, to, th to think of a modern-day il illustration, uh, the city of Los Angeles is certainly not a city built on a hill. Um, but, uh, you know, with electric lights today, you, you can see the lights of the city of Los Angeles um, for uh, 50 um, to a, or 100 miles out into the Pacific Ocean, right? Um, and so light, by its very nature, uh, and certainly this idea of a city being set on a hill, um, gives us this idea of, of uh, us being visible, uh, people being able to see from, from miles around. And the point here, ultimately, is that our moral character, as it rises above the world around us, is, is going to be visible. It should be visible. It should be evident to the world. Uh, but in the age of the World Wide Web, our influence is going to reach a whole lot further than a 50 or 100 mile radius, right? As we said, we, we, we can, things that we post, things that we write, pictures that we uh, put on the internet can be seen by somebody on the other side of the world, um, you know, lightning fast. And so and with social media, our, our lives are, are many times constantly on display for the entire world to see. 64% of the world's population has internet access, um, according to one study, and an estimated 4.9 billion people in the world have some form of social networking account. Um, and so by, by the very nature of our technology today, the way that we live our lives, for many of us, our, our lives are, are readily on display um, in a much wider and broader way uh, than might have been true uh, in ancient times. And so not just by the nature of our character, but by the nature of technology, we're, we're all, to some extent, cities set on a hill. And, and remember, as we, we sing that, that song, This Little Light of Mine, we, we talk about two dangers in that song. Uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Put it under a bushel. No, right? I'm going to let it shine. Uh, and don't let Satan it out. Uh, I, I want us to talk about those concepts. One of them is, is very inherent in this passage. I think the other one we'll see uh, is um, the concept is, is made reference to here as well. Uh, but, but let's start with that, that first concept. Put it under a bushel. No. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we see that in verse 15. Nor do you put light, uh, nor do you light a lamp and put it under a basket, somewhere to say a bushel basket, uh, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. Um, if we're going to shine our lights for the Lord, we, we, can't, we can't hide it. We can't cover it up. We can't be ashamed of it. We need to readily raise our lights up so that people might see Christ living in us. His light might shine through us. Look a little bit later in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, see what Jesus says here in verse 26 and 27. In verse 26, Jesus says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. This is the context of persecution. He's telling them, don't fear those who are going to ridicule you and slander you and persecute you and, and hurt you. 
Don't fear them. And don't allow that to, to make you c- conceal your faith. That which has been whispered, uh, you, you're to proclaim it out in the open. You're to say it in the light. You're to stand on the housetops and shout it to those around you. The light is not intended to be hidden. It would be ridiculous for us to, to take a light, you know, and put it on, under our bed. And in fact, uh, you know, think even in this room that, that we're in right now, where are the lights? They're up above us, right? Uh, you're, you're never going to see uh, a contractor put, put lights in, in the floor. Well, may, maybe you would in some rare case. But, but just about every building that you go into, they're up above us, right? And, and, and the windows that we have, even if you're driving in your car, you know, where, where are the windows? They're up, they're up at eye level, right? C- can you imagine see, seeing a car or a house with the windows down next to your ankles? You know, that, that would be disastrous if, if you're driving a car like that, right? No, we, we keep it up above. That's naturally how we use light because that's what, what sends the light the widest. That's what allows us to be able to see most broadly. And so we understand this concept, but that's what needs to be the case with our spiritual lives. Um, do, do we ever, because we're afraid how people are going to react, whether we're going to be ridiculed or, or slandered, or pe- people are going to make fun of us or persecute us, uh, we, we say, well, let's, let's just move that down a little bit, right? Maybe not raise it quite so high, because uh, they may not like what they see, right? Well, that's not what Jesus says. We need to be city set on a hill. We need to put it on a lampstand, make it evident, um, our faith uh, in the Lord, our commitment to him. Look in verse 32 and 33 of Matthew 10. Matthew 10, starting verse 32, says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Brethren, God does not want undercover Christians. Um, You know, while while many people in the world around us today make a big deal about coming out of the closet, uh, you've heard that phrase in in many different areas, um, we need to make sure that that we come out of the closet as Christians, right? Uh, we, We need to make sure that it is very clear and evident that we are followers of Jesus Christ. You know, if, if none of our friends at school are, are able to te- tell whether or not we're a Christian, then we're doing something wrong. If not, none of our coworkers are able to tell whether or not we're a Christian, then we're doing something wrong. God says it needs to be evident. Uh, we need to openly and clearly acknowledge our service to the Lord. Not, not in a prideful way, but in a way that's pointing people towards the Lord. Consider uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and 9, here we, we are described as God's people. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We talked about that idea of coming out of darkness into light for, for some of our young people earlier. But, but do you see what, what is the purpose for which God has made us? a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. It says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of God who declared light out of darkness. That, that's why we're here, right? 
That, that, that's what we're supposed to be as God's people. You know, think about this in other contexts. Do you, do you ever proclaim the excellencies of something in your life to other people? You know, do, you, do you maybe, for, for young people, uh, if you have some video game that you really are obsessed with, you have some TV show that you like, um, you know, or some, some hobby that you're engaged in, maybe some restaurant that you were just really impressed with, do you ever share that with other people? You know, you're, you're so, you enjoy that so much, that's so wonderful, you, you want to say, hey, you, you should go to this restaurant with me, right? Hey, I, I, I love playing this game. You should try it. You should play this game too with me, right? We, we, we do that many times quite naturally, right? Should we not be doing that with the most important part of our lives? With the God who created all things, the God who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light? You know, I, I think maybe sometimes because we recognize the commitment involved in coming to the Lord, we think, well, I, I don't know. They may not want me to talk about that, right? They, they may not re- respond to that well. We need to be so on fire for, for the goodness and the blessings, the good news of the gospel that it, it's, worth, it's worth the cost, is it not? Right? So we need to proclaim the excellencies. Are we putting our light under a basket or are we we lifting it up? And the way that we talk and the way that we live in the world around us for God's glory, to proclaim his excellencies. But I want to spend a little bit more time uh, talking about this second part of our song. Again, this exact phrase isn't used in in Matthew 5, but we'll talk about the concept. Uh, Don't let Satan it out, right? How does that happen? You know, sometimes it's a lot easier to uncover and lift up a light than to rekindle a light. Um, And sometimes, if we're not careful, Satan can can snuff out our light altogether. I, I think we see this concept, generally speaking, in verse 13 that we read earlier. Look back in Matthew 5 with me. Matthew 5 and verse 13. Here, let's see the illustration that God gives. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt losing its saltiness is the same general principle or concept as light losing its fire or light losing its, its brightness here. Um, th- think first about the illustration. What, how, how does salt even lose its saltiness? What, what does that mean? Uh, you know, in, in our uh, modern context, you know, the, the, the salt that we have maybe in our salt shaker, uh, you know, d- can't really lose its saltiness. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's pure sodium chloride salt. Uh, but, but in an ancient context, many times their salt was mixed in with other minerals. Um, and so if, if the actual salt kind of in some way got, got uh, stripped from the, those other minerals, really you have something parading itself as salt that's not salt at all, right? It's an empty shell of what used to be salt. Um, 
And, and as we think about what this illustration is pointing us towards, um, you know, ultimately what, what God's communicating to us is this idea of us having a unique and distinct flavor. Um, you know, if, if, if you uh, eat a bunch of mashed potatoes or, or a, a bowl of rice and it hasn't been salted, you're going to notice the difference, right? You start putting salt on that very quickly. You're going to know. You're going to uh, be able to see the difference. God intends that we have a distinct flavor. But he says here, how can it be made salty again? If we lose our distinct flavor um, from the world around us, then, then what can be done about it? If you have unsalty salt, what, what can you do with it? Well, he says here uh, that it's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If that is what we are, if we've lost our distinct flavor as Christians, if, if we don't gain that back, then, then he says it can't do any good. In fact, the only thing that can be done with it is to throw it out and be trampled underfoot by men. In Luke 14, verse 34 and 35, there's a similar uh, account of Jesus making this illustration. And it says in that context, it is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile it is to be thrown out. It's useless. Unsalty salt is useless for the soil or for the manure pile. Why, why is that? Well, maybe there's just enough salt left in there that if you throw it out in the field, it's going to ruin your crops. If you throw it in the manure pile, it's going to ruin your fertilizer. Right? It's going to do more damage than it's going to do good. When we claim to be a follower of Jesus, when we claim to be his disciples, and we don't maintain the distinct flavor of his character, of the fruits of his spirit, we're going to end up doing more damage to the cause of Christ than we're doing good. That's how important this is. We can't let Satan rob us of our distinct flavor, blow out the, the light, the fire uh, of our service to the Lord. And so if we lose that flavor but still claim to be a Christian, um, then, then we're, we're ultimately uh, doing more damage than if we didn't claim to be a Christian in the first place. Romans 12 and verse 2 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If we're going to shine as lights in the world, we can't just blend in with the world around us. We can't act like the world, talk like the world, think like the world, and yet claim to be something different. We need to have different priorities and different values different goals, different standards, different worldview, a different life uh, and culture. Because we claim to be citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We have a different home. Are, are we being molded by the way that the world thinks, the priorities, the worldview around us? Or are we being transformed, reformed by the hands of God in our life? by allowing his will to direct us. So let's make some specific application as we think about this concept, as it applies to social media, as it applies to our online activity. Um, how is it that we can maintain this distinct flavor? How is it that we can keep Satan from blowing out uh, the fire of our service to the Lord? 
first of all, we need to be careful what, what we like. On Instagram alone, uh, one study said there was an average of 3.5 billion likes registered per day. On Facebook, there's an average of 4 million likes every minute or 5.7 billion likes per day. And so liking pictures, liking videos, liking memes um, accounts for the majority of most users' social media activity. Uh, and we generally do it a lot more than we do anything else, than, than we post content um, or make comments. Uh, and so what are we communicating by the things that, that we like? I want us to consider Romans uh, 1 verse 32. After uh, Paul talks here about the corruption of the, the world around us, how we've taken the perfect creation of God and we've twisted it and made it something else. Uh, he then concludes in uh, chapter 1 by saying, And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. I want to ask you, what, what are you giving hearty approval to? in your life. Um, you, you think about in, in many social media accounts, if you like something, you know, it's the thumbs up symbol or maybe the heart symbol. You know, I love it. I like it. Uh, do, do we stop and always think about what it is that, that we're, we're liking though, that we're, we're giving our hearty approval to? You know, if, if it's people uh, who, who are getting angry and cursing somebody out that they're annoyed with, uh, but we think it's funny and we, and we like it. Is that something that, that God would want us to give hearty approval to? Somebody making crude jokes about sexual anatomy. Is that something that, that we should be giving hearty approval to? Uh, things that are suggestive, things that are crude. Uh, if God doesn't like it, then should I like it? Tur turn your Bibles with me to, to Psalm 101. Psalm 101. And I want us to look at David's attitude here because I think it'll be very helpful and instructive to us as we think about this idea of what it is we're giving our approval to. Verse 3 and 4, uh, says, David says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. The NIV says in this verse, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. What's David's attitude towards things that are evil or sinful? Does he find them funny? Does he find them, uh, you know, amusing? No, he says there, I hate the work of those who fall away. We might say, well, David, that, that's a little bit extreme. You know, hate's a strong word. Well, I think, I think he knows it's a strong word. <laughs> I think God knows it's a strong word. And that's exactly what he means. Um, when something is dishonoring to our creator, when it's causing people to be separated from God, when it's endangering eternal souls, when it is spreading the influence of the adversary that seeks to devour our souls, do you think maybe we should hate it? It's not that we hate those souls. No, we hate the cancer that is killing those souls. And if God hates it, then we need to hate it. Satan works subtly many times uh, to make us forget the seriousness of sin, to view it as not that big of a deal. 
Satan mixes sin in with things that we find funny, the things that, that we find amusing. You know, th- th- this really goes all the way back um, to, to Aristotle's theory of comedy, uh, and probably even before that. But, but the theory behind comedy, according to Aristotle, was that we, we see something, um, you know, that is, is foolish or something that is wrong in other people's lives, and if we can laugh at it, then it makes us feel a little bit better about those wrong and foolish things in our own life. Do you see that? (laughs) Think about any modern sitcom nowadays. Um, How many of the the jokes uh, that Satan is trying to get us to laugh at have to do with things that are sinful, with, with broken homes, with broken relationships, with people not treating each other the right way, um, with sexual perversion, um, with gossip and backbiting, with, with disrespect to parents, with profanity. You know, th- why, why is it that those things, you know, are just find their way into jokes and, and humorous things so much? Well, it's because it gets us laughing at it and it makes us not feel like it's that bad. It's not that serious. We need to wake up to Satan's tactics and we need to see sin for what it is. You know, what, what we need to do as, as we consider the seriousness of sin is not belittle the seriousness of sin. We need to um, magnify the importance of God's grace. That's how you deal with sin, to magnify God's grace. But belittling sin just throws darkness at the problem. God's grace is the only thing that covers that. So we need to be careful what it is we're giving hearty approval to uh, when Many times there are things that are involved with with killing eternal souls. Um, We need to be careful about who we follow. Look a little farther here in Psalm 101. Starting in verse 5, David continues, he says, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Now, great, granted, David is writing as a king over his kingdom, right? Uh, he's not saying as some private citizen somewhere, he's going to run out into the streets every day and make sure that he's destroying all the wicked people. Uh, he, he's talking about the policy of his kingdom, and this is how we're going to handle it, right? And so maybe today we're, we're not in charge of, of an earthly kingdom, but I tell you that the kingdom of our hearts, the kingdom of our personal social media pages, uh, th- those are things that we do have control over. And that God expects us um, to, to handle properly. And so as adamant as David is to maintain purity and righteousness and holiness among the people that he's surrounding himself with and those within his kingdom, we, we need to have that same fervor for surrounding ourselves, not with influences that are going to take us further out into the world around us, but influences that are going to draw us close to the Lord. It's not enough simply not to like things that are sinful. We need to avoid continually exposing ourselves to those things. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33. uh, Paul says, do not be deceived. 
bad company corrupts good morals. Why, why do you think God felt the need to, to begin that sentence with do not be deceived? Do you think maybe it's a danger that, that we, we think this isn't going to happen to us? You know, we, we think, well, but yeah, maybe that happens sometimes, but, but it's not going to happen to me, right? Um, and, and this influence isn't that bad. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. Now, God begins this sentence by saying, do not be deceived. If we are following, if we're surrounding ourselves, we are exposing ourselves continually um, to influences that are thinking like the world, prioritizing what the world prioritizes, glorifying what the world glorifies, and getting us to think more along the lines of Satan's priorities than those of God, we are going to be affected by it. Psalm 1 in verse 1, we're told how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you see a progression there? Walking to standing to sitting, going from just kind of listening to the the thoughts and the counsel and the vice of the wicked to the point where we're the ones sitting there scoffing at righteousness, scoffing at God. How do we stop that progression? We go back to the beginning, right? We go back to the start. We stop it before it even begins. We don't listen to the counsel of the wicked. We don't expose ourselves and welcome in the way that the world thinks and let that be what's forming and, uh, and molding our, our thinking from day to day. We, we need to, to guard our hearts. We need to cultivate the kind of influences day by day that are going to help the, the seeds of God's character and his word and his heart um, to, to bear fruit within our lives. So that means I need to be careful what YouTube channels I'm subscribing to, what celebrities I'm following, what type of people I'm, I'm befriending. Um, certainly, we, uh, James 4 uh, says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. James 4 and verse 4. It's not, you know, Jesus was a friend to tax collectors and sinners. Uh, Jesus, God so loved the world. What, what's, what's the idea there, though? Is he's, we're, James 4 and verse 4, we're not to show inappropriate affection to the world, right? And so we need to make sure that, yes, while we're shining our lights out into the darkness, we're, we're reaching out. The salt has to get out of the salt shaker. We need to be among people in the world. We need to make sure that as it applies to what it is that I'm feeding my heart from day to day through my eyes and through my ears, that it's not the counsel of the wicked. It's not what's going to make me think more and more like the world. It's what's going to make me think more and more like my Lord. What's going to cultivate his heart within me. And thirdly, we need to be careful what we share. What I like and what I follow may not be as publicly or readily noticeable to everyone, but when I decide to use my internet platform uh, to share something, I'm lending my full support to spreading the message of whatever that is that I'm sharing. Am I shining light? Am I spreading salt, the salt of Christian character? Or am I spreading corruption and darkness of this world? Am I spreading the counsel of the wicked? I want to go back to a passage that some of us looked at uh, last night, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to turn uh, your Bibles with me there. Sorry, I didn't. 
Uh, I thought I had one more slide. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, and let me start reading in verse 7. It says, Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children as light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see here, he says, in contrast to participating in these unfruitful works of darkness, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to expose them. I think that that applies first and foremost to ourselves, right? When there is darkness within uh, the domain of our hearts, we we need to drive it out by the light. We need to expose it. We need to confess it. We need to bring it out where God's grace is available to cleanse it and where his strength and the strength of his people is able to come in and help us overcome that. But I think there's a sense in which we also expose the darkness of the world around us. But how do we do that? How exactly are we supposed to expose the the darkness? Um, He he says there in verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. How do we expose the darkness if it's shameful to speak about what they're doing, right? If we're we're not supposed to speak about it, how do do we expose it? Well, let, let, let me illustrate it this way. Imagine that tonight... Um, we, you know, some of you came over to my house. We went on a light, uh, we went on a a walk in the neighborhood, uh, and all the street lights were out and it was kind of cloudy, uh, and it was dark out. Um, and we couldn't really see where we're going. And and I started saying, uh, you know, Hey, have you guys noticed how dark it is? It's, it's really dark. I can't see a thing. It's, it's, uh, you know, do, do you think it's dark? I think it's dark. Somebody should probably do something about this darkness. Is that going to help? No, I'm speaking a lot about it. I'm speaking a lot about the darkness, right? How do I expose the darkness? I turn on the light, right? It's, it's not that, that we expose the darkness by telling everybody how bad it is. Now, there's a place for that. We see that in the Bible many times, rebuke for sin. There's no doubt about that. But the primary way that we expose the darkness is by shining the light. And so we need to stop busying ourselves so much with cursing the darkness and get busy building a lighthouse. Because it is the light of Christian character, the light of God's glory uh, that we see in the face of Christ Jesus that is going to drive away the darkness. And so, you know, there are a great many things that we should like, a great many things that we should follow, um, You don't have to be involved in social media. You can like and follow things in other contexts. There's a great many things that we should share. But let's make sure that what we're sharing is the salt of godly character, is the light of the glory of the gospel. We we have an opportunity. Uh, As I said, we're, we're all cities set on a hill. If you choose to engage 
and any kind of social media activity, may, may it be for the Lord. May it be to his glory. And may your every thought and anything that you, you like, that you follow, that you share, be what is going to bring him honor. I, I challenged our young people earlier uh, with the question, if, if Jesus had a social media page, what do you think it would look like? <laughs> would it look anything like what it is that I share? What do you see in the mirror as you look into God's word today? Are you shining God's light? What are you promoting? Are you proclaiming the excellencies of the God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Or are you spreading the counsel of the ungodly? Brethren, by God's grace, we are to be the light of the world. It's not a light that, that we possess ourselves, that, that we uh, originates with us, right? We're shining our lights that people may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. It's, it's, it's the difference between a, a stained glass window and a nice big picture window, right? The, the stained glass window uses the light to draw attention towards its own beauty. That, that's not what we're talking about here. We're, we're, we're to be transparent, letting the light of the Lord shine through us, that all people may look at us and see his glory and be drawn to him, that their lives can be transformed, that they too can experience the hope and the joy and the peace uh, of being in a loving, uh, abiding relationship with their creator. God wants that for each and every one of us. And there may be some here who recognize that they're not living in the light, they're not shining the light, that they've allowed uh, the distinct flavor of Christ's character in your life um, to, to fade, to, to be conformed and compromised by the influences of the world around you. If there's any way that we can help you in your relationship with the Lord, that's why we're here. Um, that, that's why God made the church a family, a flock, a body, is so that we can help each other grow. Um, and so if we can in any way help you come back to the Lord, uh, lift up your hands, be praying for you, uh, help you commit your life to the Lord for the first time, that's what we want to do. Um, you can come in and talk to, to one of the brethren here after services, or if, if, if you need to express some need before all these brethren right now, we want to offer you an opportunity. We're going to stand and sing a song together. Um, if you're subject to the Lord's invitation, won't you please come forward and let us know as we stand and sing.